All right, well, good morning. Hey, well, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. Just want to continue to extend uh, my greeting uh, to you guys. Uh, it's, just a, it's just great uh, every week just to be able to gather, be able to open up God's Word. Uh, this morning, we are starting uh, kind of this short but new series. Uh, we've kind of been in this before, Cave Table Road. If you're new to, uh, new to Salem or checking us out, we'll explain just a little bit more about what that is. But something that we like to, to come back to a lot. So uh, we're going to jump into this here in a second and dive into God's Word. But before we do, um, I just have a quick, a quick announcement that we kind of forgot and missed uh, this morning. And so uh, tomorrow night, um, we're having a meeting from 6 to 7 uh, right over here in room 16 uh, for uh, kind of the launching uh, of our community gardens uh, kind of a program. And so if that's something that you're interested, we'd invite you to come back to that. Um, there's been, I think, a little bit of confusion because part of, uh, part of what we're hearing is that people think that we're doing these individual plots where, you know, we just as a church, we come together and kind of do our own thing. And that's not what we're doing. Uh, what we're doing is actually like you won't have your own plot. It's actually as a church, we're working together. And our dream, the goal here is actually to get people from our local community uh, who live right next to us over in these apartments and to gather them and to have roughly half of them and half of us and working together at the same time, uh, not just for the sake of growing a community garden, but really for growing Jesus relationships. And so if that's something that interests you, uh, we would love to invite you uh, to that uh, tomorrow night, again, from six uh, to seven. You can ask me or talk to me afterwards or um, there's several others just on staff you could just grab. So, um, hey, you're probably wondering why this is up here. Um, thanks, Dale, um, for you know, voluntolding me all of these things. Um, how many of you guys have one of these in your garage or in your house? Let's see if there's more people than the first service. Ah, just a few, okay? Uh, maybe you guys, this is a bike, okay? Um, just so you guys know. Um, so this is something that's been in my, in my garage, you know, for the winter. My wife bought this a long time ago. Um, and um, what Dale does not realize is that if um, I were to, to sit up here and to do this for the entire sermon, cumulatively, that would be longer than the entire winter that I've read it. So um, uh, truth be told, honestly, the two minutes that I'll actually be on it is longer than the entire winter too. So um, that tells you um, that I'm actually already starting to get tired. Um, so um, I heard this story this week. This is a great story. Um, Aaron Jost is, a, is a, one of the guys here from church, um, and, uh, and he's a big biker, okay? And so he uh, goes to this class, and, you know, he's got, you know, like the instructor up front or whatever, and there's this little six-year-old girl next to him. And Aaron is this, this intense biker, you know? So you get this little six-year-old girl, you know, next to him, and she's like, <laughs> you know, just enjoying her time. And Aaron's like cranking it up. He's like, Bruh! you know, he's like crushing through this thing, sweats just dripping from his, I gotta just turn it back down again, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's not me. Um, and he's like, man, sweat's just pouring from his face. And, and so, like, they keep going. And then at the end, what they do is they just count the miles, right? And so, like, Aaron looks down and his thing says seven miles, okay? Seven miles that he's just working really hard and exhausting himself for. And then at the end, the dad looks over at his little six year old daughter. He goes, hey, great job. You did six miles. And he's like, and Aaron's like, what? You know, like, you did, she did six miles, and I've only done seven. And so what I learned, there's this, there's this fancy word for this. Uh, I think it's called, I mean, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, it's called spuddle, uh, to spuddle. And that means this, this is what you're doing, is that you're, you're spending a large amount of energy exhausting yourself and going nowhere. <laughs> right? Like, when you get off of this bike, 
like you will effectively have gone nowhere, right? And so sometimes I think that this is a great metaphor for us in life and in our walk with Jesus maybe even and perhaps, or maybe you don't know Jesus, right? And you see, what we end up doing in life is like we're riding this bike and oh, we're just like working our way through life and doing all the right things and everything that we're supposed to be doing and everything that I can possibly perceive that so I'm a good person or that I'm a good Christian even. It doesn't matter if you know Jesus or not. Like we get on this bike and all of a sudden we get to the Easter season and it's like for somehow, like there's this revelatory moment for us as people that when we get to Good Friday and those words, it is finished, come out of Jesus' mouth, and all of a sudden you feel like your body's slowing. And you're like, I, what, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't need to be doing this. Like, this is, this is not, like, like, I'm just working my way through this. And, I, like, all of a sudden, and it's like Jesus kind of invites us to step off of the bike and all of the work and all of the effort. And then with those words, it is finished. It's like pierces us. And we're like, ah, oh, man, it's like we come and it's like we finally stop and we're able to get some rest. And, and we're like, oh, man, this is so good. This is so good. Like, this, this is way better than riding the bike, you know? But then Easter comes, and then those, those next three words is he is risen. And so all of a sudden, like, life gets injected into the story. And we feel like we have this new purpose in life. And like, man, like, I got rest from this. And so I got, oh, this is Jesus excitement, right? And then we just find that we're living inside of this freedom for the moment. We're like, man, following Jesus is so good. But here's my question. How long does that rest and purpose last? Like, if you're honest with yourself, does, does, it, does it last a day? Does it last two days? Does it last three days? Does it last a week? Does it last two weeks? Because at some point, what we oftentimes end up doing is that we live in this freedom, and then we end up somehow, we're back on the bike pedaling, and we're going, wait, what, how did I get back on the bike? Like, how, how did I get back here? And so there's this question, really, about, like, how, how do we bring this Easter renewal on a, on a regular basis and inject it into our lives, right? And so those six words, like, it is finished and he is risen, like, they pierce our story over and over and over Right? And so when we start thinking about this, like this, this bike, we start thinking about like the words like follow me or follow Jesus. Like how's your walk with Jesus? You know, kind of thing. We ask this, or people ask this all the time. And inevitably what that kind of means is like your quiet time. But like it's so much more. Following Jesus is active, right? It's not static. It's not stationary, right? It's not just like this lack of movement, but following Jesus. When Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, what do they got to do? Like, they got to follow. Like, they, they got to move and go with. And so for us here at Salem, we use these, these words cave and table and road, okay? So cave uh, represents um, really this, this time that we get with the Father, like with Jesus, okay? Like, it's our time with Him. Um, oftentimes, that's probably more symbolized, like, with, with, with reading God's Word or prayer or, you know, meditation or other types of things or maybe nature things, right? Whatever it is that we have this cave time. And then we have this, this table time, right, which is, which is for us and our family and our friends. It's where we, who we share meals with and kind of struggle in the midst of life with and share our burdens. And then we have the road, and the road is how we invest in the world. It's like this kingdom expansion investment. It's like, what is God up to in the world, and how can I be a part of that uh, where, I will, where I live, work, and play? 
And so we use this language, and it kind of sounds and, and it resonates in our heart because it feels like this personal adventure, right? It's like me and, me and Jesus and going out into the world. But the reality is, is that for us in the church, it's not just this personal adventure, it's actually also at the same time a corporate adventure, you see, it's us when we come, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, this in a lot of ways is like a giant cave. I mean, you look around, it kind of feels like a cave, right? It, this is the place where we come, we, we listen to God's word, we pray, we, we worship, like we talk to God, we listen to God, right? And so it's kind of like there's this, this glory and honor factor that's going, but corporately up to the Father, and then we have these groups, you know, at church, like maybe you're in high school ministry, it's a lug group, or you're in middle school, or you're in the children's ministry, or you're an adult, and you're like, hey, we're in life groups, or grief share, or we're in a Sunday school class, or these groups, these tables, spaces that we're learning to follow Jesus together with. And then there's the road of the like, investment, like how do we come alongside the next generation and people in our church to train and equip them and to grow them as Jesus people, right, for the world. And so really, Cave Table Road is holistic in how we do church, but also how we do life when we leave church. And it's this really great picture. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start. So we're doing six weeks. This morning, we're going to start with kind of the personal cave time. Next week, Tom will get to do the corporate cave. Uh, corporate cave okay? So this morning is kind of personal cave time. And I want to answer the question, like, why is it important? Like, why is your personal cave time important in today's world, like in your life? Like why carve it out, okay? We're going to be in, in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to follow along. We're going to start in verse 25 and go to verse 30, okay? We're going to spend the bulk of our time in the last three verses, but I want to look at all of this to provide us the right setting and the right context, okay? Verse 25, it says, at that time, Jesus declared, I Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Okay, so this, you know, you might go back and you might read the other context later. You know, it's in the context of repentance and talking to these, to these other groups of people and talking about cities and all these other sorts of things. But this is kind of like, this is kind of in here. We don't know if this is a direct connection to those, right? And so what Jesus is really talking about might, might be a different time, so we're not sure. But when Jesus declares, it's like he said, right? It's, it's Matthew's way of just saying, okay, so there was a time and here's one of the things that Jesus said. Maybe it was an answer to a question. We're not sure. But it could be, very much this could be, actually, when you look at how it starts, I thank you, Father. Right? This sounds like a prayer, doesn't it? I thank you. Like, 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 that's a weird statement to say in the middle of like, of like a public. Hey, I thank you, Father. Right? It sounds like a prayer. And you begin to wonder, because Jesus oftentimes did this with his disciples, is that he would have these intimate moments with the Father, and he would invite his disciples into that cave time. It's like he's allowing the disciples to see and hear how he engages in relationship with the Father. And so it's like there's this cave moment that Jesus is having, and it's like he's praying to God, and he wants his disciples to hear it. And in the midst of this, what does he pray? 
It says, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Okay? So if we were to just come back to, you know, to our board here for a second. So part of what's being designated here is as Jesus is identifying the, kind of these two different realms, right? The first one is heaven, right? And in this space, this is, you know, kind of like God's domain. It doesn't mean that God isn't everywhere. He is omnipresent. But in terms of thinking about, like, domain, this is really belongs to God. And then down here, right, because that's a place that, that we aren't, but down here, the domain of earth, right, is, is kind of the, the domain of man, right? And so it's in these two things that he's, he's setting up, these two locations, heaven and earth, these different domains, okay? Now, part of what Matthew is going to be doing here is, as an author, and you'd have to, to read more of Matthew to know this, but this is a big theme for Matthew, is he's talking about how heaven and earth are beginning to blend. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's not saying that this we're close to a time where I'm going to take all the Christians and go away. He's actually saying, I'm bringing these two things together, like, I am bringing the rule and the authority of heaven to earth, okay? And this is a mystery to the world because it's hidden, right, to most people. It's hidden to the wise and to the understanding. But when you think about this, right, so from the very beginning, because there's this, if there's a God domain and there's a man domain, right, for each of us as people, right, there is this level between these two things, a level of uncertainty, like, there are things that we just don't know. Like, we could call it an unknowledge or an unknowledge. Like, we don't know. Right? Because if you go all the way back to Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, right? So you've got Adam and Eve, right? They're the first people alive, right? Does he create them? That's a big head of hair. Um, you know, does he create them, like, with all knowledge? No, but they're perfect in the sense that sin is not in their life. It's not yet a corruption. And so they're given this revelation. Here's what I want you to do. I want you as being image bearers of the creator God to rule the universe and to multiply. Right? That's what they're designed to do. But there's still, even in their perfection, there's still a level of unknowledge. So think about when sin enters into the world, all of a sudden how much that multiplies that unknowledge. Right? And in the, like the, the chaos of the uncertainty, like it, it exponentially increases our uncertainty. And all of a sudden, as human beings, now the burden is really on us, or at least the way that we think that it is. And we begin to create and postulate and to, and to, to wonder, right? We fascinate and we, and we create all of these different things through learning, through philosophy, through education, all these types of things that would lead us to a place as human beings where we would say, aha, I have the knowledge, and what happens or what can happen in that moment is that it can create a level of superiority that is not geared in knowledge but is geared in pride. And we know, and I, you know, I had a mentor who used to always repeat this to me, and I repeat this in part of my prayers every day. It's 1 Peter 5, 5. It's where God says, right, through Scripture, he says, for God opposes the who? The proud. But he gives grace to the who? The humble right? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you look at this superiority, you know, kind of factor, and all of a sudden you're like, man, like that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so what Jesus says is, I thank you, God, for hiding the mystery of the kingdom from those people. Why? Because they are self-sufficient. That's who they are. 
It doesn't mean they can't understand it, but that pride can keep that hidden from them. And so it's not, though, that, that God just chooses to keep these things hidden, right? It's actually that he chooses to reveal them. But who does he reveal them to? To little children. You know, this last week was, um, was Easter, um, and uh, Grandpa and Grandma were in town, and so, um, you know, in Eden, our four-year-old daughter loves it when Grandpa and Grandma come, and so as, you know, one of those times, like, she was kind of in Grandpa mode, and so she said, hey, Grandpa, let's play hide-and-seek, and without warning, she ran upstairs and started counting. And so, like, we have no, like, we have, like, we're looking in the room, like, it's just an open room. There's no place to hide, okay, in this room, right? It's just a kitchen and a couch, you know? Like, that's really what it is. And so, we're like, uh, 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 what do we, what do we do? And so, so, like, in our, like, frantic nature, Grandpa just lays on the couch. We throw a white blanket over him, cover his head with pillows, and then Grandma sits on her leg, pretending to be on her phone, on his legs, Right? <laughs> and this is hide and seek. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this is going to go so fast. Eden comes running down the stairs. Better not, here I come. She comes running down. And I kid you not, she goes straight past grandpa. Like to everybody else, there's this knowledge. I'm like, there's a massive lump on the couch, okay? <laughs> like, it's not that my dad is that big, but come in. Like, it's, it's a couch, you know? And it's this huge lump. And so she runs and doesn't see him. And she goes, well, maybe he's downstairs. So she runs downstairs, right? And nope, he's not there. She runs back. Maybe he's upstairs. Eden, you were upstairs. There's no way, okay? But she goes upstairs. And she starts looking upstairs. She comes back down. Nope, he's not there. She goes into the kitchen. She looks in the pantry, which is a great spot to look, right? She's looking everywhere. She finally gets back around to the couch. And Grandpa's like, you know, and pulls off the, the blanket. And you're like, how in the world does this kid not see it? You know? you know, but at the same time, here's what's so great, is it's a story, like, I don't, like selfishly, my, my, my dad probably just didn't want to stay under the, like, like the blanket for all day. But, you know, but there's a sense of like, like, you see this picture of God who doesn't have to reveal, but he chooses to, right? Is that there are people of all ages, all knowledge levels, and what God chooses to do is to say that I'm not going to leave anyone out. Like, salvation is not some special knowledge that only the smartest people can find. Like, that's not the way that God's good news works, right? Like, that would be, like, cultish, you know? Like, but this is open, like, from, from ev for, to everyone. And, and yet, this word, actually, for children, even in the Greek, is not the word child. It's actually the word infant. And so you're like, okay, so you've got the person with lots of knowledge, and you have a baby who knows, like, virtually nothing. And so he, God is creating this contrast to help us see, right, that his choice was to make this thing available to people of all kinds, Right? And it's this beautiful picture of the gospel and God's compassion for his people. But this is where Jesus enters into the story. Look at verse 27. It says, And all these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, so this starts with, with Jesus talking about this relationship that he has with the Father, and he says that his Father, my Father, is the one who's handed these things over to me. Okay, how many of you guys have heard of the game Telestrations? 
Okay, a decent amount of you. Okay, so let me just explain really fast. Telestrations is kind of like a, just like a unique version of like telephone, okay? So what you do is that somebody starts with a word and then they draw out what that word would look like on paper. Then they hand it to the next person and they have to guess from the drawing what that word is. Then they guess the word, they hand it to the next person, and the next person has to draw that word, right? And so you can see how it kind of just changes down the line. So many years ago, we were playing this game and uh, a friend of mine, um, who's a volunteer in our ministry, got the word injustice. Now, I don't know how you draw this, like maybe scales and Batman, I don't know, you know? So, but like he, instead, he's too smart for his own good, or, or he just couldn't figure out what to draw. So here's what he drew. He drew a glass filled with ice with an arrow. And here was his thought. It's that it's in, arrow, just ice. And you're like, whoa, dude, way too hard, you know? Like, no one's going to get this. Like, this is so difficult. And then what happens is this rapid deviation, you know, through drawings and guessings from the word injustice, you know? So what you end up with is something far different. And so what happens here is that Jesus is contrasting the Pharisees because the Pharisees have been receiving from other Pharisees, from other religious leaders, and so forth down the line. What Jesus says is like, when you think about how communication works, right, one person could communicate correctly, and it might still be misinterpreted. You might miss, you know, communicate, and then it's misinterpreted too, right? And so, like, all of a sudden, like, you get this chain of effects that ends up different. And what Jesus says is, skip the, with the Pharisees, and let me tell you that me, I myself, go directly to the source. That's the Father. That's where this comes from. And that's the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. So what we find is that Jesus and God have this perfect knowledge of each other, right? As you would expect, right? As part of the Godhead. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and they have perfect knowledge of each other, like exactly how they operate, how they work, what they do, you know, like, etc. But it's not just that they have this perfect knowledge, they have this perfect relationship. And it's in this, though, that Jesus, then, as he enters into the story, he chooses, then, how to reveal and to whom to reveal the mystery of the kingdom. Here's the key. The revelation about who God is and what he's doing comes through, revela- or comes through relationship. Revelation comes through relationship, right? And so the really, the most simple way of saying this is that the only way to know God is to know who? Jesus, right? So the only way to know God is to know Jesus. So as Jesus enters into the story, right? Matthew is weaving these two things together. The kingdom of God is at hand. So you've got heaven and earth that are being blended together. And who's at the center of the story? Jesus, right? He is at the center of this story. Like, this is how this is actually working. And so when you think about it, just even from the truth side, because, you know, um, like John 14, 6, right? What does that say? It says that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? And so all of a sudden, as Jesus is at the center of the story, we, we have to remind ourselves that we don't live in a universalist world. We don't live in that world where every religion goes to the same place. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not mysticism. It's not trees. It's not anything else. It's Jesus, right? And he's at the center of the story, right? He's at the center of these two things actually being blended to, together, right? But it's from this place. So Jesus, like lots have been, has been revealed. So primarily, right, how do we have revelation? We have general revelation, which is the whole universe and creation, special revelation. We have scripture and the Bible, 
And then most especially, we have Jesus, who is the culmination and the climax of all of that communication, right? And so we think about this, lots has been communicated to us or has been revealed to us. In fact, everything that we need to know about our existence and the way that the world works, we can find right here. We can do this. Everything we need to know, right? It's good pursuits and everything else, but everything we need to know about salvation is right here. But in the midst of what has been revealed, there is still a lot of unknowledge. Like, there's still a lot about God we, we don't fully understand, right? Um, there's a lot about the world that we don't fully understand. And so in the light of all of that, there's this, there's this unknowledge, there's uncertainty, and there's brokenness. And so as Jesus is platforming himself in the middle of this merge, he makes this really special invitation to, to the people, right? Check this out in verse 20, 28. Very special invitation. He says, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay? Let's just, let's just stop for a second and let's just like allow yourself just to feel kind of like a, a, just on a very practical level for a moment as you think through this, right? Um, because there is, there's a way that what Jesus is really talking about here, for those who labor, right? There's this exhaustion level thing. For those who don't know Jesus, it's like the people who've gotten on the bike. And it's for people who do know Jesus that are riding the bike and going, man, I don't, like, why am I so exhausted? And I'm going nowhere, right? And so this is a message for, for everybody, really, um, but it's this labor component. Um, and so for us, though, as we think about this, there's this very general like, sense. And what Jesus is really talking about is how you and I carry the burden of sin. Right? There's this, this burden of sin that we each carry. Um, I was talking to um, someone this week, um, and he was telling me a story about their dad. And how when he was in life, he was in a hard place, a difficult place. Um, and he ended up cheating, having an affair um, and uh, in light of that, found out that, you know, likely he was going to lose his job, thought he was going to lose his marriage, thought that everything was crumbling. And so in the midst of all of his shame and guilt, he went to the bedroom and considered taking his life. The good news is, is that in the depth of that brokenness, that's where God revealed his love to him, and he gave his life to Christ. But... For each of us, like think about the sin and the burden that you carry. Like maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's anxiety or grief, maybe it's addiction to pornography, right? There are all these things that we feel, this tremendous baggage and this weight that we carry in our lives. It can be like who you are when no one else is looking. And only you knows that because you don't tell everybody all those things. And so there is this deep, deep weight. And so for each of us, like Paul, we should be able to say, if we understand our own sin correctly, we should say, I am the chief of all sinners. Like, there's no one who sins more than I do. And I can say that because I know my sin, right? But I want you to think about how that sin, like, sin always comes out sideways. And so, like, there's, like, intentionally and unintentionally what happens in our sin. So think about this way. Like, you go to work and you get, and you, you're carrying this, this weight of whatever it is that you're wrestling with, the sin in your life or sin in other people's life, whatever, and you come home and you give it to that spouse, you know, like, figuratively. You hand that rock and say, hey, would you carry this for me for a second? Okay. And then you go back. And then all of a sudden you come back again and you have another rock. 
And you do this over and over and over until your spouse is holding all these rocks that are those your way. So not only is the spouse holding their own sin and dealing with their own sin, they're now holding the weight unintentionally of the sin and the burden even in your own life. And so we begin to realize just how weighty that sin actually is. But it's not just unintentional. Sin comes out intentionally too. Like in any moment, like you and I, like we're feeling angry. And so somebody says something in the snap moment, we choose, we make the decision to use our anger against somebody else. And this happens, right, all of the time in our lives, is it comes out and we use our, our sin to intentionally or unintentionally, and it carries this, this massive and heavy weight. And as Jesus looks at his people, as he makes this, this special invitation, he starts with the words, come to me. So whatever it is in your life right now, like whatever sin, whatever baggage you're carrying, I don't know what it is. I don't know how deep it goes. I don't know how wide it is. But Jesus' offer is come to me. Bring it all. Bring all that to me. But it's not just the sin. He says it's also the sense of people who are heavy laden. So this is in contrast to the Pharisees because this is really about law. So the Pharisees had this saying that you need to carry the, the yoke of the Torah, you need to carry the, the yoke of the law. So, so it's kind of like this. It's like, like the, the Pharisees knew the Ten Commandments. They had all the commandments, all the things that you're supposed to do, the rights and the wrongs. And they would bring these hefty, like kind of figurative, you know, like yokes. And they would bring them to people. And then they would lay them on people's shoulders. And so it's like, if you're this person, you're like, gosh, like I was, I'm already struggling by bearing the weight of all of this sin in my life. You know, and all of a sudden you have these people who are placing more on you. And it's like you knees start to shake and wobble and there's this exhaustion level you know effect as you're beginning to to crush be crushed under the midst of this right and yet what Jesus says is he looks upon people who are dealing with sin and who are dealing with the law and he says this he says come to me come to me and here's the promise I will give you rest you see, when you, when you think about these things, as you come back to this board, right, there's these two things that happen down here, right? You've got, like, in, in, the, in the kind of the realm of man, right, you've got sin, right, and you've got the law. Both of these carry so much weight on us as humans. There's this burden that we carry, and as Jesus looks at us, he makes this invitation. He says, you want to understand and experience the kingdom, here's what you do. You bring everything that you have, all of your burden, all of your sin, all of the law, bring every single piece of this to me, and I will give you everything that I have, which is rest. It's like Jesus invites you to step off of the bike and go, oh man, like this is so much better. Like, like the weight begins to release from your body, from your heart, from your shoulders, and from your mind. Jesus is like, bring me everything you have, and in return, I will give you everything that I have. And you're like, if that's not the best and greatest gift, I don't know what is. You're going to take every single worst part of my sin, even the stuff that I've chosen volitionally to do, but also the stuff that I'm weighing and being burdened by everybody else, and I'm going to give it to you, and you give me rest? He's like, that's it. That's the deal. 
And you go, man, this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's like this rest is this ceasing from movement. Would you get off the bike? You know, you've been working so hard. You've been carrying so much. Would you find rest and satisfaction in me? And for many of us, we find this hard to believe because we picture God differently. In the midst of all of our unknowledge about who God is and how he operates, like we have these projections about who God is and how he works in the world, and Jesus is like, hey, let me unveil, let me move the curtain for you, and let me help you see that this is the way that God really is. He looks at all of your burden and says, give it to me. That's the God that we worship. That's the gospel message. But here's the deal, right? It's, it's not just that we bring our sin to Jesus. He also then says this in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So get this. So when Jesus said, come to me, that's just an interjection. It's just an invitation. You can choose to come and you can choose to drop all of that stuff on the floor of the, at the feet of the cross. You can do that of your own accord, right? You can bring it to him. But here's the deal, knowing that if you come, which that's not the command, the command here is this, if you come, take up your yoke, take up my yoke. So it's this, is that you can lay all this down, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to yoke yourself with me. It's like when you have oxen, right? There could be a single yoke, in which one person or one, one ox would carry the weight to something for plowing, or you could have a double yoke. And so what Jesus is envisioning here is that there's these people who are carrying a single yoke with all of their sin, with all of their burden. He says, get rid of that. Take that off and drop that. That's not the way that you're designed to do this. And he says, but then as a result, afterwards, would you come and would you join me? Would you be yoked with me and let me teach you? That word learn, there is the same word as in Matthew 28 where he says, go and make disciples. And so here, it's an invitation to be a disciple, right? It's to come, it's this invitation to grace, and then it's an invitation to follow Jesus and to look more and more like Jesus, you know, like we've been prepping for Israel and we've been looking at these five bold moves. And I don't expect you to know them. I don't expect you to remember them. But I just want to share these with you because this, this gives you this, this quick snapshot of the boldness of Jesus when you think about discipleship. The first one is this, is that there's a change in geography. Is that Jesus moved from Jerusalem to Galilee. And it was at a time when Jerusalem was prime and this massive big church potential movement and Jesus moves to the small area. You see, sometimes following Jesus means that you're going to have to move. And so at the very simplest, what that means is be a person who doesn't make people come to you, but go to people. Right? That's the Jesus way. Second bold move is this, is the idea of focusing on a few. It's the idea of investing in a few people in life and multiplying Jesus, cave table road rhythms into other people. The third bold move is when Jesus goes from the west side of the lake of the Sea of Galilee to the east side. And that's where like, the Jews lived on the west side and all the Gentiles, the dirty, unclean, unholy people that nobody wanted to go to who couldn't even eat pig. How dumb is that? Like that's the world's greatest food, bacon, right? Thank goodness for Acts 10, when all of that changes, right? And so then all of a sudden, Jesus takes his group of people to a place that they never would have gone without Jesus. Bold number three. 
Bold new moment number four is the way of the cross. Where does suffering and sacrifice play in your life? And make disciples is the fifth one. And so all of a sudden you look at these five things and I go, I don't expect you to remember those, but when you think about it and you start putting yourself to the litmus test of discipleship with Jesus, as you look at where Jesus was and how he was meeting with and leading his disciples, all of a sudden I begin to wrestle with this. Am I a person who wants my cake and eat it too? Like, am I a person who wants the justification of the sin without the justification of my sinner? Like, am I the person who wants to come to Jesus and lay down this burden, take off the yoke, and go, oh, man, it feels so good to rest. Thank you, Jesus. See you later. And what Jesus says, he goes, man, he goes, Seth, if you're fearful of the life that I want to teach you, if you're, if you're fearful of the things that I want to do in you and through you, let me encourage you with these words, I am gentle and lowly. Like he's not going to come in and like, like corral, like bull, like push you around and yank you to the right and to the left. He's going to come in and say, Seth, like, what about we go over here? What about we try this? What about we talk to these people? What if we, you know, and as there's this gentleness that Jesus brings to the story and to this discipleship, and he says, as a result, he said, you will find rest for your souls. You see, how does this revolve around cave time? You're like, how in the world does all this connect? Here's the deal, is that sometimes I think that we, we drop all that stuff off and we say, thanks, Jesus, I'll see you later. And sometimes we lay all that down and Jesus is like, great, take the yoke. Let's go learn. And we're like, yeah, okay, I'm in. And we do it for a while. But then all of a sudden we're like, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to detach for a little bit. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, you know. And all of a sudden I might end up back on the bike. And I might be right here again, all of a sudden pedaling and going, man, how did I get here? Why am I so exhausted? I'm, I'm sputtling. I'm exhausting, but going nowhere. You know, or maybe I'm back in sin and all the grossness of that. Maybe I'm angry again, like and all this stuff. And so cave time is this, is that we keep coming back to Jesus over and over and over. However much you need to, you're like, Seth, how often should I do my cave time? I don't know. As often as you need. To bring your sin to Jesus and to yoke yourself with him. You see, this is the way that I think that it looks as we finish this up. You see, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring all of your burden. Bring every single thing that you have. And here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you rest. But here's the catch. Like, or not the catch, but here's the invitation. Here's the next piece of that. It's not just that you bring all of your sin and all of that burden to be comforted. Here's what I'd like. I'd like to teach you. So would you learn from me. And here's the deal. I will help you find rest. You see, the difference here is he says, I will give you rest. Here he says, you will find rest. You see, as you start to follow Jesus in new ways, as you begin to think about his kingdom, as you begin to think about being made and shaped into the image of Jesus more and more and more, what you're going to find is that there's a deeper satisfaction and rest that you've ever experienced before in any other way. You can have rest, and you can also find rest, right? And here's the last thing, is that when you look at this top line here, bring rest, what are the three words that that reminds you of from Easter? It is finished. It's the death to sin, right? You don't have to carry that. What about these words? Learn rest. He is risen. 
And so cave time is about us renewing and restoring that Easter moment. And so here's my big idea, guys. If we were to go back and finish with this question, why is your cave time so important? It's this. It's because it is how we regularly find gospel rest and gospel purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up and finish uh, this morning, like here's the deal. I don't know people's stories. I barely even know my own story and all the sin and the mess that's in my life. And so, Lord, whoever is in this room and whatever is going on in their life, Lord, I pray this, that we would hear the words, come to me. Come to me, you who labor. Come to me, you who are heavy laden. Those who deal, who are wrestling with and holding on to the bondage and the baggage of sin and to those who have been placed a weight around their shoulders by other people. Come to me and I will give you rest. But Lord, at the same time as we do this, as we surrender these things to you, as we find new life in you, would you invite us, would you remind us that coming to the foot of the cross is not just to lay it down, but it's to stand back up and to say this to Jesus, I want to learn from you because I want to look more and more like my creator. Would you make me more like Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.